All right, thank you, Dan, for that awesome welcome. And um, I am so excited to be here uh, in front of you uh, today. As Dan mentioned, uh, my first time uh, preaching a sermon uh, in front of people. And so um, thank you in advance for your grace and your patience as I uh, preach this morning. And, um, you know, one thing, Dan and I have been talking about um, this sermon for probably the last month, and uh, I thought I'd start out by uh, opening with one of my pet peeves when I hear people speak. And so I'm going to give a little disclaimer uh, before I get started today. And so um, as Dan mentioned, uh, 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 my name is Ken. I'm one of the elders here at uh, CCIC. I serve alongside with Greg Robertson, which I know many of you know and, and uh, have been impacted by Greg. Uh, I'm not trained in Bible exegesis. I'm not, I didn't go to a seminary. I didn't study how to interpret the scriptures. And so as Dan and I have been kind of talking about this sermon, you know, one of my biggest fears was I don't want to misinterpret what I say. So, so I wanted to start out with that caveat of uh, my background. And, um, but one thing that, that I do want to share is uh, the passage before you is a reflection of my understanding of who God's made me over the last 44 years. Um, and then some of the experiences I want to talk to you about this morning uh, includes uh, my time reflecting with uh, meeting with a Christian therapist that I've been seeing over the last five years, and that's really helped me to understand fully how God's uh, made me and who I am. And then also, as Dan shared, um, you know, I've worked the last 21 years in the world of public finance for different government agencies, and uh, some of my experiences and reflections I'll talk about here uh, this morning. Um, so, uh, here we go. So, a little bit about my background. Uh, I grew up in this church. Uh, I started going to youth group like many of you in high school, and Greg was the worship leader, and I know he's touched hundreds of kids' uh, lives. Um, my parents, we you know, grew up in Almaden. My parents worked most of my awake time at home, so my mom uh, worked the swing shift at, a, at Kaiser Hospital, so from 3 to 11, she was uh, out and uh, my dad, for a good chunk of my childhood, worked in Las Vegas, and so it was mainly my brother and I growing up, and um, as I came to church and as I was uh, going through this age of discovering myself, I knew very early on that I was an introvert, like many of you uh, might be, and um, as an introvert, I remember times where I would think to myself, you know, here's a time to speak up, but I'd have no words to say, and so you could imagine what must be going through my mind this morning as an introvert speaking before you, preaching before you, because as an introvert, that would be the last thing at, during those times that anyone would imagine themselves doing. But I am so excited to be here uh, to share with you. Um, so as an introvert, um, I struggled to find my voice, and this was even true in my work life. Even after college, um, I remember being in... Uh, uh, meetings with staff, you know, 13, 14 people and staff, they go around the table, share about a certain idea or a project, and I just sit there, I'm like, I have no idea what to say. How awkward is this? Um, so some of you, as you enter the work world, might imagine what that's like if a boss kind of goes around and says, hey, can you give some contribution? And I had no words, I didn't know what to say. Um, and um, so I'll talk uh, about... Um, uh, this passage this morning about Daniel, and it, I, what I really enjoy about it is it's a reflection of an approach that Daniel took that I feel 
parallels a lot of what um, I faced in my life as an introvert, um, as well as in the work world. Uh, some of the uh, recent, um, I guess, world events, uh, you can say, has, uh, it's been interesting, it's been challenging. We're all still in the midst of COVID uh, in, what was this, year two or two and a half of COVID. Um, and even as I was preparing this, my heart was heavy because of the war uh, between Russia and Ukraine. And, and it wasn't a timely type uh, a message in terms of picking a passage in response to that, but just happens to so there's a, a, a conflict in, in this world this morning. Um, so as we read the passage in Daniel, uh, will you come alongside me as, uh, as we journey together? A lot of this reflects my reflection uh, as an introvert, as who I am. Uh, it might uh, have a different application for you. Some of you are extroverts. It, you might, it might be a different uh, reflection. But let's read it together and uh, let's talk through it. And so uh, this morning we're going to uh, read through the book of uh, the first chapter of Daniel. And uh, before we get to the passage, uh, I want to uh, uh, share a couple stories about Daniel that I've, uh, from my past that, that I've uh, uh, as a Christian, thinking about the book of Daniel and, and what it was about. And one is uh, the, uh, uh, what do you call it, the cartoon VeggieTales. And some of you might have taught Sunday school. Some of you might have uh, seen some of those VeggieTales episodes. It was the first very animated type cartoon uh, back when I was in high school. And I remember the episode of, of VeggieTales where Daniel goes into the lion's den and he has a lot of courage and he he survives. And I thought, you know, Oh, Daniel must be about courage. It must be about being strong. It must be about defeating um, evil. And then uh, the second story about Daniel that, that shaped who, what my perception of what Daniel was about uh, was in my time with the Campus Crusade in college. You know, this was a, a college fellowship, and um, we had this uh, a pastor that shared with us. He shared, dare to be a Daniel. Go out. Um, if, if those of you who don't know Campus Crusade, and I'm, I'm very fond of their ministry and those who can, uh, are called to it, um, you know, a lot of that ministry was going out and sharing your faith with tracts uh, to strangers. And, and you can, again, imagine an introvert going out there, going up to a, a, a college kid stranger with a track and sharing your faith. And so this pastor sh shared, I dare you to be a Daniel, which meant to me, Go out and courage, go out and share your faith. And, and I don't want to say that that's not true about this passage, but uh, as we look through this chapter of Daniel, I want us to think about it from a different perspective. Who was Daniel? How did he respond uh, to tough times? And, and I would argue this morning, it was more than just courage. It was something about Daniel um, that we'll talk about that will reflect much deeper than just saying courage. Because as an introvert, to tell someone, just go have courage and share your faith, or go have courage and stand up, that's, I can imagine, not an easy thing for us to do, right? Um, so, um, so the three-point sermon, I know that a lot of our, our sermons have to have three points, as uh, I've observed, so I, mine is uh, no different. So uh, we're going to talk about Nebuchadnezzar's oppressive rule. Uh, we're going to look at how Daniel responded to Nebuchadnezzar in this oppression. And then we're going to reflect on several elements of how we could respond, especially how I respond um, when I'm faced with oppression. So uh, let's get into the uh, first chapter of Daniel. If you, can, uh, if you have your Bibles, feel free to follow along. If not, the words are up here on the screen. 
So Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands. Along with some of the articles from the temple of God, these he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. He asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see me looking why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine. They were to drink and gave them vegetables and said, instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand vision, visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of this time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them. He found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom." And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Let's, will you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, the example of Daniel in the midst of a uh, difficult situation. I pray that you would speak uh, through your word uh, here this morning, that you would speak to us uh, in the midst of challenging things around us today as we face. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's... Uh, Slow this down a little bit in terms of what's going on in the passage and go kind of verse by verse. Um, and so in, in verse 1 it says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem 
and besieged it. So uh, I know Daniel and Dan always emphasize, what's the point of reading uh, the passage? And I, I do want to say this morning the same thing, um, that we're here to look at God's, uh, the author's intended message. And so here, uh, the author is Daniel, most people would argue. Um, uh, and there's a couple rulers in this first verse. We have Jehoiakim, uh, king of Judah, and Nebuchadnezzar. And so who's Jehoiakim? Jehoiakim uh, is a king that, uh, you know, as we were reading First uh, uh, Kings and, and uh, earlier this year and late last year, we noticed that there were different, uh, different rulers uh, um, ruling the land uh, at the time. And Jehoiakim was one of those and appears in Second uh, Kings and... Uh, this was around 600 BC, so if you can think about the timing, this is about 600 years before Christ comes, and, and uh, as we read in the New Testament. So this is the Old Testament, um, and Judah at the time included Jerusalem and parts of what today are part of modern-day Israel and Palestine, um, and they were aligned to the Egyptian Empire at the time, and so um, it was a time of chaos because Jehoiakim's father was Josiah, and Josiah was a strong ruler over Judah, and uh, he had been killed, and Je Jehoiakim comes in and, and becomes the king, and here in this first verse, Nebuchadnezzar, who's a king of Babylon, which is in modern-day Iraq, um, comes up and takes over um, and conquers uh, Judah, Jehoiakim. So a lot of chaos happening at that time. Um, Let's look at verse 2. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. So Babylonia captures Judah, this land around uh, Jerusalem. And uh, a couple observations as, as I read these, uh, this verse here. And, and you think of a temple, you think of that as like a church. And today, if, if you were to uh, have a church build, it would take about two years and, and, and it would be right there. Uh, but in this day and age, 600 BC, the temple was, was very significant. It would take decades to build the temple. And in many cases, the temple um, represented at the time where God resided for those uh, empires, for those rulers at the time. This is where they believe God resided. Uh, it was probably uh, filled with gold, a lot of jewelry, a lot of uh, precious metals. And so in this verse, uh, the, um, Nebuchadnezzar comes in and uh, takes out a lot of the stuff from the temple uh, in Judah and carries it off to his empire in Babylonia. And so... In some ways, this represented a, a significant takeover. If, if you're taking over the temple where God, their god resided, and Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar comes in and, and takes all the stuff out and, and kind of brings that to his god, in some ways he's saying, my god is bigger than your god. And um, one thing I also want to point out here is, uh, as we talk about Jehoiakim, Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, both rulers uh, did not follow God, and that was exemplified in Jeremiah, where uh, Jeremiah had encouraged Jehoiakim to, to follow God's ways, and he didn't. And so uh, the rulers here, much like a lot of the kings in uh, First Kings that we've read about, uh, weren't following God. And um, in this verse, there's this takeover by Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 3, uh, Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, uh, 
Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of Babylonians. So let's look at what's going on here. Um, so the king orders this court official to uh, gather up the royal family. So of this defeated kingdom, find me the royal family. Finally, the, find me the best looking guys, the most muscular guys to serve in my court. And in, in this t day and age, they're, they're ripping these kids, these young men from families. They're taking them away from their families. Uh, and what are they doing? They're uh, re-educating them. They are uh, making them Babylonian to, to, the, to the, any way possible. So they've taught them new language, new literature, new culture. And so you could think about, you know, here, here comes this king, uh, takes over this, this land, uh, pulls youth and kids from royal families and re-educates them to be part of this new empire. What an awful situation to be in. As we think about Nebuchadnezzar's rule, um, this shows, uh, for me, it, it, it shows a lot of oppressive perspectives. If, if I were to be in that situation, um, my, my deep thought probably would have been, oh, my life is over and I'm going to fight uh, to, the, to the end. Um, and so uh, let's keep going. Let's find out uh, more about Nebuchadnezzar's rule. Verse 5, the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. So they were given the best foods. Uh, they were trained, and, and uh, it took th them three years to be ready, but um, they were getting prepped for serving the king. They were going to be the, the top officials that served the king. Uh, you, so imagine you were formerly part of this nobility, and all of a sudden, your life is taken from you. Verse 6. Uh, among those uh, who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. And so you look at this verse, um, not only are they taken away from their family, but they're given new names. And, and I think uh, if we think about names today if you grew up and you know when when my wife and I had kids we we're just going down the list of names what sounds good what's um you know hopefully one that they wouldn't get made fun of when they get older but but in this culture and in similarities to Chinese culture the name meant so much more it meant who they were it was their identity it was their culture it was their ethnicity and so uh, here the official gives them new names. It gives them Babylonian names and gives them a new identity. So in, in some ways, stripping these the four of them of, of who they are. And so uh, in a lot of ways, it's, it's, it's more than just kidnapping and forcing them to do things. It's, it's redefining who they are. And so uh, when I think about oppression, uh, I think about Nebuchadnezzar's rule and just how awful that must have been to get taken away and, and kind of given this different life. And I think about the war in, in Russia and Ukraine and, and what's going on, and I don't want to diminish what's happening there, but I think there's a lot of parallels with Nebuchadnezzar's rule with what's happening today. Um, I also looked at uh, online, uh, trusty source Webster's Dictionary about oppression, and, and think about um, how the definition here can help us understand what's going on. And, and 
Um, if you look in Webster's Dictionary, it talks about oppression in several ways. One is a, a prolonged, cruel, unjust treatment or control. So definitely Daniel and his friends were, were um, you know, uh, going through this unjust treatment, taken away from your families, given a new language, given a new identity. The second definition here, the state of being subject to unjust treatment or control. Um, definitely in those three years, I can't imagine the thoughts that would go through his head um, as this is happening. And then the third definition here, uh, something I think is a, a little bit more, um, uh, not as concrete, but a little bit more um, uh, difficult to, to see, but, but I think is very true in oppression, um, mental pressure or distress. So I know um, in a lot of uh, situations that you face at school, at home, at work, potentially, um, uh, how in some ways are you facing oppression, oppression today? And uh, in my 21 years as a, a finance uh, person, um, I have faced different kinds of oppressions, not just on me, but around me. And uh, it, it was very true in my work. Um, so for some of you, um, it might be a boss, it might be you, you're looking um, at, at the war, a dictator, a teacher, a coach, or even a family member where you face oppression. And it can happen, I would argue, uh, more often than we think. At work, um, I witnessed extortion for money, for promotions. I witnessed sex and sexual harassment for promotions, backstabbing, throwing people under the bus. And I don't want to paint a dark picture of work, but, but to me, that was, that's the reality of the world we live in. That's the reality of, of uh, what's around us. And um, several uh, weeks ago, it was Valentine's Day, and um, we were quarantining at home with COVID. And uh, you know, one of the tasks as a dad, I, I didn't want my kids to be left out. And so I took my kids to look for Valentine's Day cards. And um, we went to Target and they were out. We went to the dollar store, they were out. And uh, you know, you know, at this time kind of tired, I said, okay, if, if there's none at Rite Aid, we're going home. And uh, we go into the store and sure enough, there, there's the section of Valentine's Day card. And my son, for the, those who don't know her, is in uh, third grade. And um, he sees them. So there's the Paw Patrol ones, which he loves. He, he loves watching the cartoons and, and uh, has a lot of the toys. There's Spider-Man, there's different comic book heroes. Um, there's Frozen and there's Star Wars. And, and you look in his mind, you see this thinking that goes through, which one's he gonna pick? And he stops, and he he ends up telling me, "Dad, I don't I don't want any of those." And he picked Skittles, and and in my mind, I'm like, "What's what's going on?" You know, and and I could see uh, this pressure of ridicule that that he was worried about from his friends. You know, what would his friends think um, with selecting those cards? And so, in some ways, I felt sad because that was a, a very oppressive in that third. Um, definition there, uh, oppression as this mental pressure that he faced. And um, so as we think about, I want us to think about this morning, what ways do you face oppression today? And looking at how I wanted to respond to my son, um, I was sad, but also uh, very reflective. And, and I think um, uh, as we keep going in this passage, I think uh, there's encouragement to be had in how Daniel responds to oppression. So so let's keep going. The second point of uh, today's message, Daniel's response. So verse 8, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with 
the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see me, uh, you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. And so uh, a couple things to, to reflect on here. Daniel uh, has this conviction. He has this uh, belief, and it's uh, probably around the food being sacrificed to idols or food that were considered unclean at the time. And so Daniel doesn't want to eat it. And, and in fact, he talks to the uh, chief official and asks for permission not to uh, be unclean. And um, if you slow it down, you think about Daniel and the situation and, and this ruler that's oppressive. Um, that was probably a very risky ask of Daniel, right? He uh, could have costed him his life. You know, in fact, the chief official said uh, it might cost his life. And so it was a very, very difficult uh, potential ask. But Daniel was convicted and, and uh, felt motivated to ask the guard this. And we'll find out more about his motivation as, as we keep reading. But in this passage, uh, Daniel's able to gain favor from the guards. Uh, it, even at the potential cost of their lives, uh, it says that God was with Daniel. And, and in this case, Daniel knew it. He knew and he had confidence in God's presence as he's going through this ask of these officials. God was with him. Uh, let's keep going. Uh, verse 11, Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but veg vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. And so um, in some ways here, Daniel and, and the four convinced the guards and he builds this relationship with them, right? He has compas compassion and he... Uh, has this rapport somehow uh, that lets the guards do this and test them for 10 days. And so he builds this relationship even in the midst of the oppressive rule of Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 15, at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. And so, uh, you know, in uh, having a little fun with this sermon, I thought, hey, well, uh, this isn't a sermon about being a vegetarian. I'm sure there's a lot of good aspects of, of eating your vegetables, but um, uh, important to kind of look at what the author's intending here. So let's, let's take a look at this. And uh, in these two verses, the guard is convinced. He looks at them, and they're even better looking. Uh, can't even imagine, you know, taking good-looking people and being even better looking after eating vegetables. And, and he builds this favor, he builds this trust with, uh, with the guards. Verse 17, to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. And so um, at that day and age, um, fortune telling, magicians, uh, interpreting dreams, this was... Uh, uh, occupation or a skill that was highly valued because they didn't have the internet, they didn't have a lot of books, if any at all, and, and so 
Uh, as a ruler of a king afraid of other kingdoms coming, if you could foretell the future, uh, that was of high value. And so uh, you look at um, uh, uh, what God gave. God gave knowledge and understanding to Daniel. So he had this wisdom and understanding and confidence uh, that you'll see is repeated in several verses here. Um, and so I would argue with you this morning that Daniel um, had this wisdom and knowledge of understanding uh, to face this oppressive rule. Verse 18, um, at the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, so they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And so here, uh, Daniel and the, the other three of them are given wisdom and understanding ten times more than anybody else. And so how does that happen? You know, in some ways God was with them. Uh, in some ways Daniel had this wisdom of understanding uh, and he had this confidence in God um, being with him. So he talks to the guards, and they were uh, obedient uh, to him. And something to note here is, is Daniel's reaction, right? He didn't shout. Uh, he was patient. He didn't fight them. And, uh, and if he did so, he probably would have been killed. He probably would have been ineffective in terms of his perspective being, of being God's uh, messenger and God's uh, uh, vessel. And so uh, he didn't fight it. Now, I, I, I want to be clear here. I'm not saying in every oppressive situation, don't shout and don't fight. But in this situation, Daniel ex exemplified wisdom and knowledge in a way that was calm. And so, um, uh, so he gains the guard's favor. And, um, and you know what? Like, he took the risk. Like, if, if he refused to eat the food and he didn't think about what that might mean, um, he might not have been there. And then the last verse in this chapter... Uh, verse 21, and Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. And so um, without further study, my, my take on this is, is Daniel outlasts Nebuchadnezzar's rule. In fact, he, he keeps going in terms of who he was as a prophet. And so uh, that's significant uh, in, in several different ways, and I want to talk about it because, um, you know, like you have this person that gets captured, retrained, and yet he outlasts even the people that oppress him. Uh, pretty incredible. And so as we see how Daniel responded with wisdom, through knowledge, through truth, and who God is, and when we look at oppression today, and, and, and we get to our third point here, um, we are all going to face oppressive situations. I, I guarantee it. It can happen uh, even in church. It could happen at school. It will happen at work. And so it's really important to think about our response and... Um, I know uh, naturally, our, in our human nature, God's probably given us this natural fight or flight, what I'll call response, right? So when you see this oppressive environment, it's very easy and natural for us to, to shout, to fight back, or to run away, right? I, I do it all the time when I face a difficult situation at work. Um, it's very natural for us to, to, to have this fight or flee response, and so... Um, as we look at and reflect at Daniel, I want to encourage us with a different type of response, one that, that 
um, I would suggest um, uh, would allow us to have um, uh, a different response from that fight or flee. And so uh, let's look at um, some other practical ways in terms of how can we respond uh, with the oppression we face today. And, and, and again, I don't want to belittle, you know, if, if you're in an oppressive situation and there are rules and laws that were broken, I'm not suggesting don't report it. I'm not suggesting don't fight it. I'm not su suggesting don't tell anyone. What I'm suggesting here is Daniel had a type of response here where God blessed and God was with him. And, and, and if, if he didn't respond that way, he would have been killed. And so as we face oppression, uh, as Christians, uh, what relief can we have uh, based on Daniel's response? And so uh, the first uh, one I've listed here is to pause. And um, Dan has shared last week uh, of our church theme and our, uh, for this year, and it's uh, to pray continuously, giving praise with thanksgiving. And so when we're faced with a situation, when our human nature is to react, to respond, to fight, um, I would argue here that Daniel encourages us to pause, to take a break, to pray if you can. Uh, and in that way, in that circumstance, God is allowed in uh, to that situation in a, in a supernatural way. Uh, the second uh, practical application, uh, because I know that when you read about this, as, as I did in my, uh, the stories I told about Veggie Tales and Campus Crusade, it's easy to think, well, my, with my personality, um, you know, how can I face, uh, how can I have courage or, or, or face oppression? And I think some of the application here helps me uh, in those situations. And so the second item here, seeing a bigger picture. Uh, when we find out later that Daniel um, survived um, uh, past Nebuchadnezzar's rule, he knew, uh, based on his dreams and visions, that ne the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar wasn't the ultimate kingdom. He knew that God's kingdom was bigger and um, he was able to endure because of that. And so as we face oppression, as we look at Daniel, oftentimes uh, there is a bigger picture that occurs. So if we can take a step back and look at that and see how uh, it, the way Daniel held on to knowledge and wisdom through an oppressive situation helped him, uh, taking a look, taking, pausing and seeing a bigger picture uh, can help us. And uh, third item here, practical application, uh, know that God is with you. And so Daniel grew up in a time where he heard stories about who God was from other prophets and other, others before him, Moses. And, and so uh, there wasn't the written word. Uh, there wasn't at the time um, uh, what uh, God talks about in John, God's Holy Spirit after Jesus uh, is, is killed on the cross. Uh, in John 16, 7, it says very Truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And so, in a very real way for us today, the Holy Spirit is with you. The Holy Spirit is with us. And so, when we face oppression, know that God is with you. Um, and then the last practical application as we look at this passage um, be the light. And so in John 8, 12, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so I would argue here as we as Christians walk in an oppressive world, as we 
carry the knowledge of truth, other people will see us and they will see God's light. And, and so one example I want to share with, uh, uh, about with this that demonstrates this is uh, in 21 years in, in the finance world, um, uh, very recently, it was very unsettling. My boss was fired um, uh, last week, and, and a lot of people were trying to figure out what's going to happen, what's, what's going to happen with their jobs. And, and in, in some cases, they asked me, because in, in a lot of respects, if, you know, without giving a lot of details, people were scared that I was next. And so um, I had a lot of people come to me and say, hey, Ken, you know, like, if you decide to leave, take me with you. Let me... Um, I want to work for you, and and for me that was so reassuring about working in this in in the work world and and having people see that hey, there's something about Ken's way of managing that's different, and I would argue here, um, I I I believe that God is with me, and they see this light uh, in that workplace, and so as you are facing oppression, knowing that God is with you, um, you will be a light to other people, and. Um, you see that in Daniel's response to the guards. The guards have this compassion to Daniel. He was a light uh, to these, this group of people. And in very similar ways, I would argue that as Christians with the Holy Spirit, you are a light to other people in these situations. And so uh, in closing, as an introvert, um, you know, I, I shared with you about my childhood as an introvert and and. I would never imagine myself speaking here in front of you as an introvert, but I can tell you today that I was so excited to be here um, because I knew God was with me. He's with you today, and uh, just uh, trust that God would bless you through uh, his passage this morning. So let's pray as we close. God, thank you that you give us your spirit, that in the midst of difficult uh, circumstances, uh, around us that we will face. Uh, you give us a way forward. You give us a bigger picture. You give us uh, an understanding that your kingdom will prevail. And so I ask that you would be with us, that we would be reminded as we step foot in school, at home, uh, at work, um, wherever we are, that we would be reminded you're always with us. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>